You're listening to Grindhouse Courthouse. We put movies on trial to determine whether or not a film has committed too many movie misdemeanors to be considered viewable. Please rise for the Honorable Judge this episode. On trial this week is the 1996 film Mission Impossible, starring Tom Cruise and John Voight. With a budget of $80 million and a worldwide box office take of approximately $457 million, the film was a financial success but received mixed to positive critical reviews. Arguing that it's a good thing when Tom Cruise has to enact the ghost protocol, go rogue across the nation, and deal with the fallout of his actions, we have Adam serving as Mission Impossible's public defender. Arguing that the only thing dumber than calling your elite task force impossible mission, uh, <laughs> arguing that the only thing dumber than calling your elite task force impossible, he did it again. Arguing that the only thing dumber than calling your elite task force impossible mission force is thinking that nobody would notice Tom Cruise's teeth. We have Dylan serving as the prosecutor. Your judge for this week is Tom. It is my solemn declaration that I will give Mission Impossible the fair and balanced deliberation that it deserves. I cannot promise that the jury will do the same. We begin with the opening statement of the defense. Adam, whenever you are ready. Thank you, Judge. Intrigue. Mystery. Suspense. Tension. Action. These are the words I would use best to describe Mission Impossible. It's safe to say that Mission Impossible helped define the action spy genre back in the mid-90s. It set a new standard for what action spy movies should be held to, and has continued to raise that bar as the series progress, not only in the sense of action, but what it takes to be an action hero. Tom Cruise is eccentric, he embodies the Ethan Hunt character perfectly, and has taken stunt work to the next level. Tom Cruise can deliver. Lastly, the Mission Impossible series has spanned over two decades and six movies, this is not due to coincidence or luck. People want more from the series because of the entertainment value and the level of excitement each film brings. All this can be credited to the success of this first movie. Thank you. The court will now hear the opening statements of the prosecution. Dylan, when you are ready, please proceed. Okay, full disclosure, I hate almost all spy movies. Uh, and Mission Impossible is no exception. I mean, I get the appeal of the concept, but the idea of this group of idiots causing mass havoc across the globe for no real reason. I mean, come on. The stakes are implied to be global cataclysm, but everything in the movie implies that maybe 15 people will be affected by the outcome. Uh, as with all spy movies, the involvement of the government is oddly represented by like one random guy who is the only individual preventing the complete collapse of the United States and the global community, economy, whatever you want to call it. Good thing he was there, this one guy. From the idiotic biblical coded message to the temperature controlled data room, this movie presumes a stupid audience, which is exactly what it got. With the opening <laughs> statements concluded, I will now open the floor for the defense to present any evidence that they may have. Now, both the defense and prosecution are allowed to cross-examine at will, but be warned that any unruly behavior will result in being held in contempt of court. Adam, the floor is yours. Thank you, Judge. I want to figure out how to approach this one. Give me a second. How do you feel about Dylan calling you a stupid audience? 
<laughs> well, he's not calling me a stupid audience. He's calling the well, audience. You watched stupid. the movie, did you not? I've well checkmate, checkmate, Adam. <laughs> I'm not okay, so I'm not going to argue off his opening. P- point statement. of clarification: I, I am calling the defense stupid. <laughs> this is just rude, Judge. Are we going to allow this kind of behavior? Absolutely. This is exactly what the people are here for. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's let's break this down. Adam, please start. Okay. Adam, you can begin now. <laughs> Thank you, Judge. <laughs> okay. Mission Impossible is a movie that is much more focused on building suspense and tension rather than solving the problem through extreme means. This means that the movie takes a more conventional approach. And personally, this is very refreshing in comparison to what we've been watching recently and the movie, the action movies that are out there today. So, example, anything that The Rock is starring in. Huge explosions, big budget. You just have a wrecking machine going in saving the day. This is not what we get with Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible, in that sense, has a more realistic approach to the spy action movie genre. And I know, just hold on, and I know that that statement does not hold up for the last scene of this movie, but for a solid two-thirds of this film, we, the audience, are to believe that everything that Ethan Hunt or Tom Cruise's character is undergoing is fairly grounded, and because of that, there is this level of suspense that keeps the viewer engaged and attached throughout this whole movie. I have examples. Hold on. <laughs> I was like, is that it? Kind of. I yeah, like, that's just another opening statement for you. <laughs> yeah, there was there was no place for me to jump in. It I know, was I kind know. of this on, monologue, and it seemed like not the end of that monologue. <laughs> so now I'm well, going to go ahead and jump in, unless you've okay. got some examples that you want to throw. Do you, Adam? I, I, do, I do have some examples that okay. I think that make this movie refreshing. And again, it takes the conventional approach and then it leads into the suspense. So the, the first okay, thing now, that I want... Now without a psychotic pause, go ahead and present them. <laughs> God damn it. Okay, so let's, let's actually start where the movie begins. And the movie focuses on a team rather than just a single person. And each member of that team, yes, part of the impossible mission force, IMF for short, Dumb name, but that team, each member has a responsibility and duty. They work together, they collaborate together in order to complete their mission. This, again, conventional approach, it takes away from the idea of a one-man wrecking team, one man going in, saving the day, and this... I don't know. So, okay, sorry, hold on. I'm trying to think of, like, how this ties into being suspense and action. Yeah, I know. It's hard to do because it doesn't. <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> Hold on. Give me, give me one second. I'm just trying to, trying to find the right wording for it. Because, like... The court will grant you one second. <laughs> okay. Your Honor, I think I'm just going to step in and start tearing this fucking movie to shreds. May I? Uh, you may. You may. Okay. I will allow it. Let me present the opening scene. So the opening scene is John Voight on an airplane and he's sitting there and everything's super 90s about it. And they're like, do you want to watch a movie? He's like, I prefer to watch theater. So immediately you hate this man because like, fuck him. Like, I prefer to watch theater rather than movie. Anyway, so he gets his movie. Guess what? It's the mission. The mission is impossible, which is perfect for impossible mission 
what the hell is this stupid team's name? IMF? Impossible Mission Force. Oh my god, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Okay, so already this is the dumbest, dumbest setup. Okay, so we meet the team. Dumbest team. All right, we have John Voigt, who's the old man. Uh, we got wise cracking Tom Cruise, like his son he never had. We have his wife, who's like a 20-year-old French model. Yep, that makes sense. Okay, uh, we're going on. We got uh, Emilio. Emilio's there. Thank God Emilio's there, right? I'm sure he's going to have such a great, amazing contribution to this fucking movie. <laughs> uh, probably pull it out of the depths of shit. Nope, dies immediately. Um <laughs> Some other chick is there. I don't know what her deal is. Doesn't really matter. She dies immediately too. Okay. Point of question. This is immediately falling into these stupid spy movie tropes that are so bad. It's like, who is this team? Why these five people? These particular five. Already, if two of them, if two are in a married, if two are a married couple, that immediately puts up red flags. Like, ah, maybe they're not that qualified. Like, maybe she got in because she's married to this dude. Or maybe they're just an excellent team due to their marriage. They're so well bonded that they work best as a team. It depends who you ask. Um, Debatable. Uh, the court will ask both the defense <laughs> and prosecution in that order. Defense? Well, I'm not married, so I don't feel I can speak to it. Uh, knowing if mm, my That's a point be... against you. Ah. Prosecution? <laughs> I am married, and John Voigt says, my marriage was falling apart, um, and yet... Well, I'm kind of giving away this great fucking burn I had for like the third scene. But so John Voigt thinks his marriage is falling apart. And yet this woman is willing to do some pretty fucked up shit for her husband. So there's definitely a very obvious disconnect between the man and the wife, which is a married man. I would say that does not condone well for a happy marriage. <laughs> um, but I'm 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 conventional in that respect. Okay, anyway, okay, going back, going back to, back the to team, this though. fucking team, back to this goddamn team. So we got Emilio, we got Tom Cruise, we got John Voight, we got the French model, and we got the woman who does not factor into this movie one tiny iota. Okay, how is this team related to any government whatsoever? Adam, okay. answer this goddamn question. I actually think I have an answer for this. So okay. in that scene, John Voight mentions during the briefing to Ethan... Uh, that this is his usual team. So it's safe to assume that all members of this team are part right. of IMF. So okay. in context to our audience, IMF is not a publicly known division of the CIA. So this allows the CIA to say that they're unaware of their existence and that they are rogue and unbacked by the U.S. So all members are part of this rogue, hidden group of the CIA working together to solve these impossible missions. Okay. Follow-up question. Yeah. What is the fucking purpose of their existence, especially <laughs> now that the Cold War is over? Because everything that we learn about this team throughout this movie, it only concerns self-preservation. The fact that this team needs to continue to exist in some way. The protagonists, the antagonists belong to this spy agency or kind of like the CIA, but even still, they're kind of like ex-members of the CIA. Uh, does it affect, does anything about this plot affect anyone except spies? So IMF extends to all world threats. And 
I think the reason why we're getting caught up in the idea of like the Cold War and why it shouldn't like, why does it exist now? Because the Cold War is done for them. And I think it's just because of John's voice character. Those would be the missions that he was trained on. Those are the missions that his career was focused around. And that's where his motivation comes from later on down the road. But I, I believe like IMF is in a transition transitional period right now where five years after the Cold War, they are now getting into bigger threats that are not focused on Cold War related items. So this is what we're seeing now. We're seeing new types of threats coming out of this. So that is going to be their focus future forward. Okay. And my counter argument would be there is no threat. There's no threat because, I mean, it's Mission Impossible. They couldn't really imagine like terrorists and shit like that for some reason. Um, so all the threat comes from within. Yeah. So sticking to this movie. Yes. The threats within this. You, do you want to give away the motivation? Like John Boyd's sure, motivation for doing this? I Go mean, if it. you haven't seen Mission Impossible at this point, like <laughs> get over yourself. Like, spoilers. Yes. Yeah, spoilers <laughs> from this point <laughs> forward. Everybody. Spoilers. spoilers. <laughs> Sorry. Are you doing it or am I doing it? That's because <laughs> I thought you had a lineup for it. Mm-mm. You want me to do it? Yeah. Uh, so, oh, I don't have the line though. Because John, John Voight's line is fantastic. So he feels that the reason why he turns on the IMF is because he's obsolete now. There's no reason for them to keep him because all his missions, again, were related to the Cold War, and that's over. So what's the point of him? What's the point of him continuing working hard for an agency that doesn't acknowledge him? What's the point for working for them for $60,000? And yes, his marriage is in shambles. Even though, yes, he's married to allegedly, a exclusively <laughs> from his perspective. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> that's actually a very funny point. Like, if she was not aware that he was so upset until that moment when he shot her, <laughs> and it was just yeah, she fucking lost a lot on that one. Um, yeah. we'll get so we'll get that's there. that's John Voight's main motivation of just feeling obsolete because the Cold War is done and. IMF is clearly transitioning to something else. Right. So, yeah, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. But um, basically, rundown of the first major chunk of the movie. There's a spy mission. Oh, yeah. So, well, actually, Adam, run it down. Run it down. Yeah. So, so, no, hold on. Sorry. Because, like, the whole por- the purpose of that was, like, what is the threat? In this movie, it is internal. Um, we're not seeing, like, a global, global threat that we've seen in the later movies. We're not going to discuss those later movies because we just want to focus on this one right now. So it is just an internal threat. It is, again, you have your rogue agent that is a traitor against them. So that's, that's all you're seeing. That is the main conflict of this movie is you have a rogue agent that has turned against his team. Ethan Hunt now has framed for it, and the IMF thinks that he is this rogue agent, so Ethan Hunt now has to present himself as not the traitor and to clear his name. So in order to do this, in order to expose the traitor, he must steal the knock list and sell it to a lady named Max and clear his name with IMF. (laughs) Now saying it, yes, it doesn't sound... The best, but that's what we're <laughs> working with. <laughs> yeah. I know. Truly, truly setting the stage for some excellent arguments later. Don't worry. When I'm... your opener is like, yeah, it was actually, it actually wasn't that good. Okay. But, but uh... the, the story, yes, we, and we've had this conversation before. The story is a bit convoluted and it stumbles. And yeah, it may be due to the poor script or them not having a script completed for the mission or for the movie. But overall, it it, it does deliver for for the 
I can't remember, like two hours that we're watching the movie, we, there was moments where we were deep in suspense. We, there was no one talking because we were just fixated on what was happening on screen. So you, you have to acknowledge that for Mission Impossible. Uh, the court does not acknowledge that for Mission Impossible. <laughs> it appears that the prosecution really hates it when married couples attempt to work together. And the defense really loves to just make up facts about the impossible mission force. Court is now in recess. Dave! Do you have any questions? So this whole movie, it's just like an internal struggle between the teammates. Does any global force get involved in any fashion? Like, is the U.S. coming at all? Or do we get some CIA, other people, like, jumping in? Like, hey, you guys over there, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, so you... Okay, so just to clarify, it wouldn't be that much of an internal struggle with the team because most of the team dies within the first 15 minutes. And it's just left to Tom Cruise. The, the conflict that comes is Tom Cruise having to prove himself that he is not the traitor against IMF, against the other main I like higher up IF, IMF agent that comes in uh, that tries to deal with him. Which, and let's, let's acknowledge that scene too, because that scene where Tom Cruise just realizes that his team is dead, he's completely in shock, he calls IMF to see what to do next. He finds out that they're in Prague and that they're going to meet within an hour. And they go to this restaurant, which is equipped with aquariums everywhere. Every wall is an aquarium. So you get this nice visual effect with it. And as the scene goes on, the director does it in such a way where you have these low angle shots and it's very close up on the face. And you can actually see as the dialogue is going back and forth between the higher up agent accusing Tom Cruise that you're the mole, you're the traitor, your team is dead because of you. Tom Cruise is literally like breaking mentally and also trying to put this together of like, what the hell's happening? How can I correct this? And it leads up to one of those beautiful scenes and iconic scenes of him tossing his dynamite bubblegum onto the aquarium wall and escaping through this flood of water going out the restaurant. Can you tell me more about this dynamite bubblegum? I, I feel I like that's a point love that to judge. needs to be expanded on. <laughs> Because it comes up, it's so. This is another. This is another point that I want to acknowledge with Mission Impossible is that, again, it is more of a spy movie than action movie. The action is sprinkled throughout the movie and it adds to it. It gives it. A, it gives it another flavor. But the the spy aspect of the movie is what to, what should be focused on. Because objection, Your Honor. <sighs> Go for it. <laughs> it's sprinkled throughout the movie before they realize they had a fucking cup of it and then they <laughs> dumped it all at the end we'll get there <laughs> we'll get there interesting the the focus around it being a spy movie over an action movie you get to see this with the equipment that they use the tools and the devices so the exploding gum is one it's introduced early from emilio our favorite and basically it's very simple there's two sides of the gum red green if they're collapsed together you have a timer of five seconds and then it will explode it. So this is portrayed early on in the movie and it pays off at the very end. But you have to note that the other tools that they use, they're not so enhanced that they can solve any problem. They're just tools. They can be used to get them through the mission, but they don't solve everything for them. They don't have like a device that they can put onto a computer. It cracks it and then they're into the CIA. No, it's them still doing a lot of the work. And that's what I really want to put an emphasis on is the, the tools that they have, the glasses, their spy cams, so you can so another person can watch what the other person's seeing. This plays up in multiple points and is 
extremely effective and it's not overdone throughout the movie where it's like bashing you in the head with it it's it's a nice uh presence that again allows you to see the spy aspect of this movie so the dynamite bubble gum is a single stick of gum <laughs> yes <laughs> that's the parts are already that's touching what you want to take away so okay <laughs> if we I, think... love it. <laughs> I just gave you gold tom i just gave you to focus on the tools <laughs> and you go right back to the gum okay so because i know what's important here as the judge <laughs> and what's important the two fucking pieces are already touching but, okay but like they're already yeah, touching but like okay so it could be that the the chemicals that are going that are put together are at the very tips of the gum it doesn't have to be the center of the gum it's just a clear indicator indicator of this side and this side put together dangerous it, the chemicals might not be at the very middle i think that's fair to say like also look at a magnet right you have the poles at each end those are the most powerful it you still have north and south come, come oh together. shit that's a good <laughs> analogy adam you just <laughs> fuck the judge on that one <laughs> <laughs> nice i'm getting into my groove let's keep it going let's oh, keep it going guys. that was solid <laughs> analogy nice <laughs> devastated oh the judges is... so there's a lot of there's a lot of conjecture about the dynamite bubble gum but not a lot of facts that i'm hearing i'm hearing a lot of it could be this way not and this is yeah, how it and is. that's like if you want to... we can't move on until you admit that it's mad <laughs> i'm not your honor just your like honor magnets are you denying magnet science right now <laughs> i don't want to listen to no scientists telling me lies and getting me pissed magnets how the fuck do they work? <laughs> Dynamite bubble gum. What is it? Why does it never show up again in any other movie? Your honor, you are you or are you not a juggalo? <laughs> <laughs> what, what the audience... I didn't come here... I am not the subject of examination right now. It's Dynamite bubble gum. Magnets, how do they work? <laughs> He's got an ICP poster right behind him. Wait a second. Now that I look, he does have his face painted white. <laughs> And he's got Hatchet Man tattoo on his neck. Look, you guys, it's all about family, okay? It's all about family. You just wouldn't understand. Oh, my God. He's drinking Feo right now, too. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so wild. Family. Okay. Uh, court is now in session. Dylan, <laughs> please present your second exhibit eh, when you're ready. Okay. Um, well, I'm ready now. Um, so oh, okay. We're going to go Excellent. and straight go into... Okay. Now Ethan Hawke needs to steal the NOC list because they think he stole it. So now he really needs to steal it because that's how spy movies fucking work. I hate these stupid spy movies. Anyway, um, it's the dumbest um, security room you've ever seen. It's at the CIA. Um, this is iconic, right? This is where when you think of Mission Impossible, you think of this scene. So anyway, he, he meets up with Ving Rhames and Jean Reno. Um, Vin Rames, Jean Reno were like ex uh, CIA guys in some fucking way because everyone's kind of affiliated with the American government, but you don't really know. Anyway, he meets up with them. They're going to get him into the CIA headquarters and he's going to steal the NOC list. What does NOC stand for again? It's like a list of spies, basically, right? Yeah, I think I, I tried looking this up too, and now it's like off the top of my head. I can't recall, but it's like not. I can't remember. Yeah, it's a list of spies, and basically... The court will wait for an answer. <laughs> um, Not obviously, 
connected. Cyber criminals. Cyber criminals. Um, basically, it is a list of all IMF agents. So the very beginning, uh, there was a mission to find out or to uh, capture the traitor that had stolen the Noclis and be using it. So that's that's what the team was doing at the very beginning. Uh, so in the scene that Dylan is describing, Tom Cruise's character is hiring ex IMF agents to help him steal the actual list in order to give back to IMF to prove that he's yeah, not a traitor. Fucking exactly what I'm saying about <laughs> spy movies. Like it's just impossible to describe the stupid plot. Okay, so they got half the knock list, but to like actually get their they have like their code names, but to get their actual names, they need this other half of the knock list, and that's what's in the CIA. Okay, so Ethan Hawke is Hunt. going in with or sorry Ethan Hunt um is going in with his spy team um which includes well Ving Rames but he's kind of like remotely involved the wife of John Voigt by the way she didn't actually die you just thought she died and then Jean Reno and um so they go in they infiltrate the CIA because they're disguised as firefighters and we get to basically the scene that has come to define Mission Impossible for like people like me who hadn't really seen the movie before like when I think of Mission Impossible I think of this scene which is of course Tom Cruise descending from uh air ducts um by a cable um to steal the fucking knock code knock list thing okay so here's why this scene is fucking ridiculous first off actually this is kind of a compliment more than a, a critique but they didn't actually mm -hmm. play the mission Bold impossible <laughs> music during this which i kind of liked like every time you've ever seen this parodied they always have the like dun 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 dun, dun. I, I can't actually sing that song but you know the mission impossible theme is actually completely silent during this scene at least based on the version that we saw. Um, so I actually kind of like that. Um, and then everything just goes downhill from there. So we have this overly complex security system that enables Ethan Hunt to steal the NOC data. Whereas something as simple as like a motion detecting camera or, you know, a window would have made the job literally <laughs> impossible. Literally that job could not have been done if they just had a giant window there. Instead of installing laser detectors over a vent, why not just make a small air duct or at least one that cannot hold the full weight of two grown men? Uh, but they did that. So anyway, they've done all these things to like half-acidly prevent people from coming in, but also making sure that they could, if they do get in, no one will notice that they're around. So... Tom Cruise descends. He's on belay with Jean Reno. And then randomly this fucking rat shows up. And this is the weirdest scene of the whole movie. And I scoured the internet for like some other people who found it weird. No one else found it weird. It was just me. But this rat comes like scuttling down and Jean Reno is freaking out. And it's this like really tense scene. And so you expect like there's a scene where like Jean Reno has to kill the rat. Except it just has this like really hard cut where it's like Jean Reno like screaming at the rat and looking at the rat that's approaching him. And then cut. Tom Cruise descends like eight meters, almost touches the ground. Then cut, the rat is dead behind Jean Reno. So you don't actually see the killing of the rat. 
which when we were watching this movie, we all kind of debated. And the best explanation was that like this was to avoid animal cruelty rating or something. I mean, there's like a million, a million questions in me either way. So first off, how does this rat that's okay. been apparently wandering around in these air ducts not set off the laser detectors? And also, was this just edited out of our version? Like, I'd be really interested to know if like other people have seen this movie. Like, what are you fucking talking about? Like, Jean Renault bites that rat's neck. Okay. Like, that would be very startling if that actually is a scene. So, so first off, I, I want to say that Dylan did not do this scene justice. Uh, for the way that he described it. He half-assedly jumped all over the place and did not emphasize on how truly impossible this task is in order for them to break in to this room and to get the knock list. So first off, an agent needs to get into that room. What do they need to do? It's voice activated. So they need his voice. They need a six-digit code. They need a, a retinal scan. And then they need a double key card access. That's just to get into the room. And then once they're in the room, there's three systems. We have a sound sensitive system. We have temperature watch and pressure sensitive floors. So the room temperature is controlled through the central air ducts, which is about 30 feet above the floor, uh, which is encased with a laser net. So any system that's activated will trigger an automatic lockdown. So you, you actually have Tom Cruise describing this scene when they're on the train and it's going through step-by-step step of this agent entering the room and all the scenarios that could go wrong. So it's building up the tension as he walks through this process, just, just for them to achieve this goal of getting into the room. So it already feels overwhelming. And then we go right into them trying to achieve this, them uh, climbing through the air ducts, setting up, and then descending Tom Cruise into the room once the agent has been taken care of for the most part. So I just want to emphasize that as the scene is going on, and Dylan did pay some respect to it by saying that there is no music uh, or the sound is very minimal throughout this whole scene of Tom, Tom Cruise being lowered into it. And again, the reason for this is to have you holding your breath, having that extra level of tension. So you're actually feeling the weight behind this and that this task can go wrong at any point. So I, I want to put a high emphasis on how they actually set up this scene. Now, to answer your question about adding a window, adding a camera, we have to think of the content that is on this computer system. This is highly classified material that only specific agents would see. You can't have a security system. You can't have some random person walking by and seeing the content on the screen. It's, it's highly classified. It'd be exposed to anybody. It'd be such an easier mission for them to do is just like hijack into the camera system, wait for the agent to be checking out the knock list, get the recording of that, and then they're out. So I think there's always a way around Tom Cruise and his team to achieve this list. So whatever you throw at them, tiny vents, more lasers, windows, cameras, they would work through it. That's, that's my two cents on the matter. Yeah, well, I think they should just had smaller events. <laughs> and I think that's fair. Like, it, it's unrealistic in that sense to have two grown men uh, stumbling through this event, and then they have lasers all over the place where, yes, you're right, a rat could set it off, but it just adds to that, that level of suspense and, and that tension of just them trying to what's one more step into completing this impossible task outstanding arguments made by beautiful people but i still don't understand why adam doesn't get the physics behind turning a monitor away from a camera <laughs> or a window before closing statements we will have a short recess dave hit him with your questions <laughs> 
fuck i should have thought of that yeah. no, but like could it then it then it comes i don't know because like then the agent might not be trustworthy right he could be looking up something stealing it so they actually have to be recording he him. could he could turn the monitor around <laughs> yeah you're right yeah i i'm you know i'm fully i'm fully fine with a room not having a window like that's that's totally fine a smaller vent yeah maybe but for a facility that they were in i think you need uh, the big vents small vents will not work why yeah. so can, can we question the jury <laughs> airflow just strip airflow for that big of a do you see a small little vent in like a big facility anywhere no no I, I feel those are standard vents like i don't know much about ventilation in buildings but i feel that's a i have never seen a vent that would support the weight of two grown men lugging around like 300 pounds of equipment they don't build them like that oh uh, they, they do oh, oh cool. well yeah. i stand corrected <laughs> <laughs> yeah it might not be everywhere but i'm sure some places like there's definitely out there but this whole so if they don't have like both sets of this like code, what's the big deal? Like, why is Tom Cruise so in trouble when he only has half the code? Like, what's? Oh no, half the code's out. Yeah. Like so not... think about it. Well, no, think about it this way. Um, let's say you do have a rogue agent that has one half of the code right now, right? And they need the other half. And no one is aware of who this rogue agent is. We know it's John Voight. He could potentially still access this other half. And he wants this other half because he wants to sell it on the black market for billions of dollars or whatever his reason is. So if Ethan Hunt or Tom Cruise is able to come in, collect that other half before John Voight gets it, he then now has leverage on the situation. So he can bring out John Voight uh, and kind of bring out this traitor of IMF and deal with it that way. Couldn't like the, the, the higher ups rescramble the code and then completely make it that listen this is 96 um they barely knew how to use email back then so <laughs> i think that that task of them uh setting a new hash and uh, encrypting it in a different way probably probably was a challenge and a half for them so let's just assume now speaking of which your honor i'd like to address the uh the question of job 314 briefly mm -hmm. <laughs> i will allow if it I yes may. please continue you you may yes um so they needed to well ethan hunt needed to figure out what job 314 was and you know what it turns out it's job 314 mm. because there's only one biblical chapter and verse that anyone knows which is chapter 3 verse 14 as we all know derived from stone cold steve austin of course but um <laughs> so anyway he figures out it's actually a biblical reference to job 314 and then he looks it up and he realizes that Job 3.14 is a biblical verse that has fucking nothing to do with this movie whatsoever in any way, shape or form. <laughs> but he's like, oh, but the name is Job. So then he sends a fucking email and the email address is the most insulting thing I've ever seen <laughs> in the history of just like lack of research ever because the email. The email address <laughs> was, I don't even remember, but <laughs> it's, it's something like. It's like Job at three colon space 14. <laughs> no dot com, no nothing. Doesn't fa follow any like standard naming convention at all that you would use for an email. 
Uh, but go and on. And he sends us The court email. will recognize that that is not a properly formatted <laughs> email. And most of this movie does seem to hinge on computers. That seems to be a very large chunk of it. For them to get something so basic wrong, I don't know. It doesn't look too good, does it? <sighs> It literally made no sense why they had to have that component, except for him to like look at a Hebrew, look at a Bible, and go, oh, "Job three one four, Job three one four," and then the Bible verse to have no explanation of anything, and then he randomly comes across some fucking Job website, and that leads him to the arms dealer. Uh, I I'm gonna try and explain Wait. this. This is yeah, good. good uh, the court will luck. wait for an answer. <laughs> this is good okay. Hold on, luck. I have to take off my glasses because this is. So wait, where where is what what is this happening? Okay, I, feel yeah. like this I know. Sorry, sorry. it's me. a but... bit earlier than the um the infiltration scene. It's I, yeah. I'm gonna try and I'll, I'll try and set this up for you, Dave, because like out of context, it. yeah, out of context, this just seems like a big mess. But it is yeah, in context. It also <laughs> in, in context. It is also a big mess, is what judge, I'm gathering. Judge, but please, judge, Adam, whatever you're judge, ready. You're a bit biased on that. You're supposed to be impartial. Um, but yeah. So hey, I could take any stance I want. God damn it! Now, whenever you're ready. Okay, I need to like wrap my head around this. Yeah. Adam, please begin. <laughs> you can't rush this. Okay, so <laughs> I am the judge. Please begin. Okay. So, Adam, <laughs> please begin. God damn it. Okay, so the Bible, the relevance of the Bible. Okay, I want to I want to make a couple points with this first. So Dylan said <laughs> So Dylan said this is for a stupid audience. He put an emphasis on them being dumb and then Dave calling me out for being dumb. I want to say that this is not no, I'm just saying that he uh, but, called you dumb. I wasn't calling you but dumb. But I'm just personally. saying that there's there's a bit of dot connecting that you have to do through this movie and you have to be paying attention because if you miss certain points or like sentences of this movie, then it just falls apart because it is confusing your first watch through, but the second watch through, it kind of comes together. And so what I mean by that is uh, John Voight's... Oh, you mean that the movie is bad, no, but then it gets no, no, better. No, 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 no. I think the 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 items that are should be focused on are just subtly hinted at and if you don't catch them the first time it's missed so you you kind of go off into a tangent so so it's a poorly made movie again i've already acknowledged that the script may have not been finished by the time they started filming so yes there is some room for error but i'm going to try and connect this all together very nicely Oh, okay. Um, well, please begin, Adam. <laughs> so, thank you. So, at the very beginning, uh, you have to acknowledge that John Voight's character makes a comment about staying at the Drake Hotel. Everybody else is at, like, the Motel 6, but John Voight's character gets to stay at the Drake Hotel. This was in Chicago. It's under our assumption that John Voight took the Bible from the Drake Hotel and that's what he was using as code or like he was using particular quotes or scriptures needed into to co correspond to this third party max to to make this trade about selling the knockless. So where this connects is Ethan Hunt is just find out his team's dead. He's back at the safe house and he's trying to figure out what's going on and he's staring at the computer and then he stares directly ahead and he sees the Bible there. So when he opens it up, 
the first thing that's on the page is a reference to the Drake Hotel Bible. So this is the first key or key like element that points to John Voigt's character. So John Voigt's character is potentially not religious, but we do hear him quote scripture at the very end, which is thou shall not covet another man's wife, but we'll get there. So Ethan recalls a reference that John Voigt does about Job 13 or 314 and then starts plugging away at the internet. Yes, it's poorly executed because again, the email is not not realistic, but that's that's your connection. That's how the Bible, that's how the scripture verse comes into play and that's how Max comes into it. Okay. Okay. Well, now that we've established all that, you can begin. <laughs> no, that that was it. That was that was it. <laughs> That's the whole thing? Well, that's the entire no, movie? No, no, that's, that's reconciling what, like, the... why Job 314 comes into play. And it's because John Voight's character was using the scripture to connect with Max. And he makes reference that he was staying at this particular hotel. And that Bible from that hotel is there. That's where Ethan makes the connection where John Voight could potentially be the traitor or the bad guy early on. Now, how does that make this a good movie? So... I'm not here. <laughs> I've got nothing. Hold on. <laughs> well, okay. We're moving on. <laughs> I, 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 can't, I can't suggest. Like, they tried to do something with it. They tried to make it a bit more cryptic. And it's just like, it's, it's a thread that loses its way. It, it definitely feels like that. They could have... It shows that Tom Cruise is so smart so, and like, we're not. Yeah, he can figure that it's, out. It's just can. like, it's, yeah, he makes connections that the audience is not fully aware of or how to make those connections, but they just needed that connection to happen. So yeah, I, I would put it as a negative for this film, but. Hmm. Uh, we'll get that on record as Adam <laughs> does not believe this is a good movie. <laughs> I still, Checkmark. I still enjoyed this movie. I recognize the flaws, but. I still think it did a solid job. Well, court is now in session and closing statements can commence. Adam. We have a third scene or no? Get going. Yeah, we, yeah, do. we got a third scene. Do you want to do a third scene? Okay. Do you want to, do you want to set okay. this one up, Dylan? Or do you? Yeah, sure. I can set it up. Okay. Okay. Hold on. Okay. Remember how that, remember how that fucking prosecutor or defendant, whatever you're supposed to be, Adam, uh, <laughs> said that this wasn't an action movie. Well, third scene, definitely trying to be an action movie. The best way to explain it is helicopter in train tunnel. So just kind of wrap your head around that immediately. Train tunnel, helicopter, and that kind of sets the stage of what is going on um, conceptually, which is impossible physics, impossible reality, stupid action movie to its fullest extent and shitty 19 mid 90s cg so any redeeming quality that this movie once had is completely completely undermined by this final scene and you know what this scene comes to define the goddamn franchise that is mission impossible it's what they put on the posters it's what they made all the sequels about this scene is Mission Impossible for the people who made Mission Impossible. So don't let the defense try and confuse you by saying this isn't what the first movie was about. This is what it absolutely became about for everyone involved. Okay, I would like to defend myself on this one. Okay. So, mm, I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Judge. You're so kind today. Please acknowledge that I can't remember if it was my opening statement or the, the very first case. I said that 
Mission Impossible is, yes, a spy action movie, and it tries to follow a conventional path for most of the movie, so about two-thirds of the movie. It loses its focus on the last third of the movie, and this is what we're talking about with the helicopter chase scene and the, or I guess, the high-speed train uh, chasing with the helicopter. So, And your honor, I'd like to remind you of my opening statement where I said that audiences are dumb <laughs> and they latch on to dumb things. And that's exactly what this dumb audience did is they latched onto this stupid, dumb last scene and went, oh, I love it. The, the end of Mission Impossible. So cool. Explosion and yeah. helicopter in a tunnel. This is the thing is, this could be so much worse. That's the thing in like in today's standards for action movies, this could be so much worse. They could be out in the Arctic in sports cars trying to run away from a submarine. But no, this is like we've all seen that Fast and Furious <laughs> and it's excellent. I'm that just was saying amazing. this is so back. dialed down in comparison to today's action movies that it works it it fits nicely because you have to think of like what other 90s action movies were out at that time we had the rock we had the phantom like in comparison you to didn't oh the movie the rock yeah okay. yeah yeah not just no one has ever included the phantom <laughs> in a list of good 90s yeah action you're just films. listening shit we've I defended did, on this show i no did not say good i did not say good action movies i said just 90s action movies so but again, if you if you were die to, hard, why wouldn't you go with die show. hard? That's the like big one. <laughs> let the record also Commando. show that saying that it could be worse is not a good. No, defense no, I'm not. I, I'm not saying that's film. my defense for it, but I'm just saying they could that. literally show animals being murdered on film. <laughs> that's it. Could be that. So you should be, you should be happy. Actually, you should be happy. It's not that. Also, they could show, um, like your house burning down. They could show that. That's true. The court will recognize that uh, having nails shoved into my urethra um, would be worse than watching Miss and Impossible. Oh, come on. Sir. Come on. I'm just saying that this could have been so much more. They could have dialed it up to 11 if they wanted. The fact that it was honed down to just a helicopter chasing a high-speed train in a tunnel... And Your Honor, explosion. I say this was fucking 11 <laughs> in 1996. This was 11. I don't think so. Because, like, you look at look at any other movie. Again. Look at Commando. Look how much damage one man does in that movie. There's buildings exploding. He goes in. He kills, like, 300 people. He throws a pipe through someone wearing chain mail. Mission Impossible Yeah, but I believe, I believe Arnold Schwarzenegger could throw a pipe <laughs> through fucking Bennett. <laughs> and end that chain mailed motherfucker. Oh man. I believe the court that. will recognize that it is possible to believe that. <laughs> it is not possible to believe that a helicopter could chase a high speed train. So in I a think tunnel. okay, so that that's the thing too. Then that shows the the skill and uh I wanna say like the professionalism, but this shows how talented some of these <laughs> I don't want to say hates. professionalism. <laughs> what? But like, no, the agents. So you had, uh, what's his name? I always forget his name. The the French agent that tries to kill him. Jean Renault. Jean Renault, thank you. Jean uh, Renault piloting this helicopter. And that takes some skill in order for him to maintain and stay in the tunnel at this speed. So it's like, I, I, I feel like I'm repeating myself again. 
this could have been so much more. There could have been gunfights. There could have been more explosions. But the fact that Tom Cruise doesn't even fire a single gun in this movie, that's, I don't know. If, if you're looking for something that has less over-the-top action, Mission Impossible is something for you. Are you saying that the movie is daring us to give less of a shit <laughs> by including things that aren't exciting? I'm Remember, you are I'm under oath. I'm saying that you can be excited in different ways. And it doesn't just have to be about explosions okay. and car chases. Okay, let's forget about the explosions and the helicopter chases for one second. Um, which you don't totally forget because that's fucking stupid. But don't <laughs> let's let's let it go for one second. Sure. Everything else about the scene is also stupid and for stupid people. Okay, so we have the great double cross here. Or triple cross, whatever the hell it is. So what's her name? John Voight's wife. Well, kind of all the main actors are in the train at this point. We have Max, who is the arms dealer, who is trying to acquire these lists of spies. And her psychotic Wi-Fi isn't working 10 years before Wi-Fi was a thing. But we're just going to like ignore that, I guess. Okay. Um, we have the CIA agents in the train trying to figure out where everybody is. We have John Voight's wife, and we'll follow his wife initially. So his wife is in the train. At this point, we think she is on the side of Ethan Hunt, and she wanders back to like one of the rear cabins of the train. And who does she find but John Voight sitting there? At this point, we know John Voight's alive, so it's not that shocking. And what does she do? She reveals that, yes, John Voight, I am definitely in league with you. I am definitely double-crossing Ethan Hunt. Okay, so let's set this up. At this point, John Voight has explicitly stated about his 20-year-old model wife, who, you know, we just have to accept that shit, is willing to murder her friends, ruin her career, and commit high treason for him. And he is like basically told us that the marriage is not going well. The marriage is falling apart. And if there's any doubt about how this marriage is going, she uh, she refuses to murder Ethan Hunt. And that's basically enough for John Voight to kill her. So the woman is trying to trick Ethan Hunt at this point also. And more about the scene makes even less sense. So so the woman walks into this train cabin. She sees John Voight. And she reveals her complicity in the plot. And that's about the time that Ethan Hunt pulls off his John Voight mask and reveals that, in fact, he is Tom Cruise. Um, the weird thing about this is that John Voight is kind of standing in a closet like four feet away, like just letting her fucking admit all this shit, even if he doesn't really understand what she what Ethan Hunt is doing. He knows he's disguised as him. Why not just get rid of Ethan Hunt right then and there? The court will wait for an answer. <laughs> because, yeah. Why does he not just kill Ethan Hunt disguised as him five feet away I've been as he's holding a gun? the whole week, and I have no answer for you. <laughs> the thing, it just doesn't make sense. But, like... Uh, like how long was John like the real John Voight in the shadows that's it like did he just show up for when his wife was saying oh Ethan I'm so sorry 
It's a <laughs> fast moving train, so there's no above and there's no below. There's just a train. So he's definitely in that little cupboard the whole time watching all this happen. So basically what he did was allow his wife to incriminate herself. Why? Because he's in a Why terrible would he marriage. Let her do she that? wants out. Even this if is he's exit. not sure. This is his exit plan, Dylan. Why does he think he's in a terrible marriage? His wife just <laughs> ruined her life for him. The court will wait for an answer. She murdered her friends. She killed her team. She committed high treason. She's again betraying this guy. What? Yeah, All this is in be. John Voight's head. Clearly a deranged, deranged man that just wants to watch the world burn. So why not taking out a loose end of his wife? Well, I guess Was she so, a loose end? Because that's the only well, way if to you think about it. Yeah, scene. she is a loose end, right? Because she, when she talks to Tom Cruise, she thinks it's John Boyd and she's like, okay, let's get out of here. And then when Tom Cruise reveals himself, she's like, oh God, I'm so sorry. And then when the real John Boyd comes out, she's like, please don't kill Tom Cruise. Like we don't need to do this. She's trying to change her way. So I think that's why the real John Boyd wants to shoot her is because she's now turned her back against him. She's willing to join sides of the enemy. Why? But that's a leap. She's not willing to join his side. She's clearly exhibited the fact that she has betrayed Tom Cruise. She's yeah, just so not I willing think, to I think she's murder him. More than anything, right? Because, like, I don't know. See, there's, an, there's other parts in the movie that I don't think they just had a chance to dive into. But there's, there's a subtle sexual tone between Tom Cruise and the wife uh, that's not really acknowledged. So I'm not sure if she's right. in love with Tom Cruise at this point, And that's why she doesn't want him to be murdered. And she just wants to escape with John Voight. Uh, it's, it's difficult to say. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, anywho. So he shoots her. John Voight shoots his wife. And there's this ridiculously stupid helicopter scene on top of the train, which is what, like... After the descending into the code room, this is kind of like the other go-to scene. Um, the only good part about it is when John Voight dies because he gets <laughs> folded like a fucking pretzel in half. And we like slowed it down frame by frame just to watch him get folded in half because we're sick fucks like that. Um, but it's actually pretty funny. So we did two scenes where we slowed down frame by frame. One was Emilio getting a spike into his face. And the other was John Voight getting folded in half on the train tracks between the helicopter. Cause we just, and we didn't even like laugh or react like normal humans. Like, Oh, that's gross. We're like, Oh yeah. Notice how he's, his spine has folded in half and like, just kind of like observed Emilio's face getting like punctured by a spike. And like the whole debate was like, what part of the elevator would that spike even be? I don't know. Like, just not yeah. human reactions. I do. I do want to acknowledge the the actual like action in this scene. It is fairly well done. Like, it's it's fairly well choreographed. It okay. doesn't feel sloppy. It's edited pretty pretty well, and it's like the pacing is actually really great too. Uh, for this, where you <laughs> the judge does not agree, but I disagree with that. Uh, the whole the whole escape of John Voight onto the top of the the speeding train. Uh, trying to bring in the helicopter. Tom Cruise going out with no equipment. So he's just going out with basically his skills and his strength on top of the speeding train, trying to get John Voight able to connect the helicopter. It just 
you see, I don't know, there was a, there was a level of tension that was rising with this because again, you have this threat of being on top of the train and then you add another level with this helicopter coming in, in this narrow tunnel. And then also the helicopter trying to kill Ethan by bringing its blades in at his back. And then the last, the big moment, yes, Tom Cruise getting onto the helicopter, but this, I have to highlight this. So when Tom Cruise gets onto the helicopter, he uses the dynamite gum, the exploding gum, and he slaps it onto the window. And rather than saying like a clever one line that you would have got from a nineties action movie, he just screams. There's just this primal rage that overcomes him and he just screams. And then he makes the jump and the helicopter explodes and he lands on the high speed train uh, and lives. But overall, like, it's still an exciting level of action in this movie. Like that scene, I would say enhanced it. It it may have not needed to be there, but it definitely now marks what the franchise is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can we do closing statements? Before closing statements, we will have a short recess. <laughs> Dave, okay. any questions about what you just heard? How how long is this train? Is this like a, a long train? Could the guy have been like in the front cabin and then slowly been walking to the back or something? That's why he wasn't in this room scene. No, he's in like a closet, like a storage I want to say they're at the very end of the train because when... But they are at the very yeah. end of the train, yeah. So maybe he like saw Tom Cruise dressed like him and he's like, oh man, is this is this my future self? And he was scared. No, like, no, no. Tom Cruise is also. <laughs> and then again, no, the Tom universe. Cruise has also been sitting in the back of the train because we have the arms dealer and the CIA agents in the train as well. So if he was anywhere near the front, they would have come across him. So he also has, they had to have been sitting in the fucking mm-hmm. same train car for half an yeah. hour. But like mm. Tom Cruise At planned least. all of this. Like that, that, I think that you're skipping that point. So Tom Cruise planned for. Well, n- he didn't know John Voight yeah, was there. John Voight's the. Uh, I I can't explain that one, but I can explain like Tom Cruise had asked for Max to be in the train, had asked the MIF agents to be there because it it connects everything and it ties it up. So right. he's able to hand over Max for selling the knocklist to John Voight, and uh, so they go away. Then. Ethan yeah. Hunt or Tom Cruise is able to record. No, no, he knew John Voight was going to be there. Oh, that's what it was. Okay, hold on, hold on. He didn't know he was going to be he in that fucking no, closet. He had to. He had to knew, know that because he was recording the whole thing. Why? He had the camera on there. So I think. Oh. He had it for the wife, not for John Voight. Was it Voight? just strictly for the wife? Yes, to incriminate her. Because he knew about John Voight. John Voight had met him. Like five scenes ago and admitted everything already. He knew John Voight was implicit. Mm. He didn't know the wife was so maybe he, part of it. I don't know. See, yeah, maybe that was... And no, he says it explicitly. He says it explicitly in the scene that he didn't know if she was okay, involved. Okay, so maybe he was calling her. Another reason why it's psychotic <laughs> why John Voight shoots his wife. Okay. My other question is, how big is the actual tunnel? Like, is it a pretty <laughs> decent size that a helicopter can easily... <laughs> Uh, you can fit, constantly changes. Yeah, you can get two trains because there's one moment know. where another train goes right by them. Uh, so it's it's wide enough to fit right. two s- speed trains. I mean, but the it's a tiny it's helicopter. A helicopter. Like I don't know, I've flown quite a few helicopters and tunnels and <laughs> games there. 
Yeah, I'll, <laughs> no, yeah. I if you just focus on the size of the helicopter, I'm fine with that. That's... <laughs> okay. It sounds it sounds entertaining. <laughs> is that is that your official Fuck. ruling? Do we need to just skip over closing statements? Christ, or... do I even need to have a closing statement after that? Oh no, I still want to hear. I I still need to hear closing. Court is now in session, statements. and closing statements can commence. Adam, please begin. Uh, okay. Thank you, everybody, for listening up to this point. Thank you. Uh, Adam, <laughs> don't thank them. Start. Okay. It, Adam! <laughs> whatever you're you, ready. Judge. It's simple. If you're looking to take a break from over-the-top action movies with quick edits, big explosions, and one-man wrecking machines, I would suggest Mission Impossible. The movie does a great job of creating suspense and tension and is very well paced, which I find is something that is lacking in today's action movies. Also, if you're looking for a movie that made Tom Cruise a credible action star, you should start with Mission Impossible. Thank you. Wrong. Top Gun. Was that like this is another level of action, though, I feel this is this is him physically doing these stunts. So that's what I'm. That's why I'm honing in for him being incredible. The court will recognize that the defense had said earlier that the complete lack of action or exciting <laughs> elements in this film was one of its strengths. No, 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 no. So it has to be one or the other. Go, just go, just go for your closing statement. <laughs> I feel I've defended this movie well enough. <laughs> the court will not recognize your excellent defense if you throw up your hands and go, ah, give it to the other guy. Other guy, whenever you're ready. I, too, would like to give it to me. Who are you, Dave? Are you one of these audience members who just clap and love the fucking helicopter and tunnel? Are you a smart guy who's a little too smart to be tricked by this shit? So fucking ballsy. (laughs) With that, closing statements have concluded. Now... This week, the judge will not have any impact on the final ruling. It comes down entirely on the jury. <laughs> now, I will say that I think this movie is a big turd, but... You're influencing uh, I, I the think, jury yes. then by giving your opinion, judge. Oh, okay. Um, I think it's great there. <laughs> so uh, that no, no influence. Yeah, you Canceled sold that out. one. Yeah. That's, uh, that's how it works. Do I get asked any more questions? Uh, yes, if you have any questions, please ask them now. So, I don't know, I, have you guys seen The Man from Uncle? Yes. Yes. Yes, I have. Is it that type of spy no. movie with less gadgets? No. No, it is not. So there's it's more action no. than that one? Because The Man from Uncle was like, is what you were sh- like describing to me there with like, it's all about just him like doing not like action spy, but just like good old fashioned spy work. Is that what this movie is? Dave, you're missing the point. All spy <laughs> movies are bad. No, disagree. Yeah, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think of like what level this would be. So if like Man from Uncle is your like standard, that's your baseline. I would have to put Mission Impossible just like slightly lower than that. And I think it's mainly due to it being constructed in the 90s. Like if if they were to start the Mission Impossible franchise at the same point that when they started uh, Man from Uncle, they would be comparable. I think. I think with the right director, because you had Guy Ritchie on Man from Uncle. So 
I like I don't know how to compare it. I would I, I would tone down the spiness and the action in comparison to Man from Uncle. Also, you have two great actors and like two great leads in Man from Uncle. Well, this movie was definitely carried by Tom Cruise. Emilio did what he could. Yeah, he tried. <laughs> you know it's funny. Sorry, I don't like you can get into your like <laughs> what your verdict is, but it's so funny that after the John Voight scene in the hell or in the airplane when he discovers the mission the first thing that we see is emilio it's not tom cruise it's it's emilio's face he it's it appears that this movie would be taken in a different direction and then you get the whole team aspects and then they all start dying but yeah just a little fun fact emilio is the first first face of the team that you get to see so my verdict is is all gonna be based on one thing the gum (laughs) (laughs) I need to see what this magical gum is. And based just on that, I, I need to watch the movie just to understand this gum. <laughs> That's it. I need to understand this gum. Fucking audience, what can you even do you... in the face of this shit? Well, that I... settles the case of 1996 Mission Impossible. <laughs> well argued by both sides. But it was the dynamite gum that did it. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. We spent an hour, Dave, <laughs> arguing about so many other aspects, and you focused on the cup. Uh, no. I know that, that... There will never be oh another God. Citizen Kane. <laughs> there will never be another Lawrence of Arabia. This is it. We've hit, we've hit it, people. <laughs> Rock bottom. We did it. Uh, we can't trust the audiences anymore. <laughs> Donald Trump will be reelected. We're done. We're I done hope here. I you're happy, Adam, because this is basically your fault. <laughs> court is adjourned. And with that, the court is adjourned. Come back next time for a new trial with new litigants in the never-ending parade of schlock that is Grindhouse Courthouse. Motherfuckers. <laughs>